Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. I'm Dave Sulecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. And this week, we have event director for the Grand National Cross Country Series, Tim Cotter. Now, here's some of the latest news in the industry. Big event from the MXGP of Garda held in Trentino, Italy. Jeremy Sewer wins the MXGP race. It's his first win of the year, so it was great to see. He was on the gas all day. He actually ran up front in the second moto, ended up taking the overall over Tim Geyser. So you've really got a big shakeup in points in that MXGP class. Romaine Fabra has now taken the lead with 614 points over Geyser. So almost a complete flip of the point standings from the previous two rounds, which are also in Italy. This has been quite the incredible series, Dave. Three points separate first through third place in the MX1 championship with two rounds remaining. Pretty incredible, that race action from this past weekend. You know, there was even some team orders I noticed where KTM had Cairoli and one of his other teammates let Hurlings pass him to get those extra points. So uh, it's going to be interesting coming into the final two rounds. For sure. And there's got to be hard feelings between Prado and Hurlings after that cross jump in Germany. Really, just like I said, a complete flip of the points for Hurlings to go from first to third. He entered the race with a red plate and he left in third place. Yeah, definitely some uh, some crazy action going on. I think the the team order thing there was definitely like I thought that was pretty admirable of both riders to you know to kind of do what they had to do to help Hurlings you know gain as many points back after going down twice in the second moto. And so, yeah, it's going to be a real barn burner coming into the uh, final two rounds. In MX2 action, we have a world champion, Maxime Renault has scored enough points before the final two rounds to take the title, and it was great to see the Yamaha rider win it. Uh, His teammate didn't have as good a day, ended up uh, losing ground in the points. He sits back in third now behind Tom Vial, who's just been the hot hand lately. The guy gets every hole shot. But uh, Renault is your world champion in the MX2 class. How about that news? Yeah, big news. You know, it seems like he was a sort of a surprise. Came out of, I wouldn't say he came out of nowhere this year, but... uh, you know, he was a front runner. I think Yago Geertz probably was one of the uh, the ones that people thought was potentially going to take the title along with Tom Vial. But uh, yeah, Maxim Renault just absolutely flawless this year. You know, it seemed like he uh, he really did what he had to do to to get that extend that lead. And uh, with two rounds to go, he's world champion with an over a hundred point lead. Billy Bolt wrapped up the FIM Hard Enduro Championship in a nail biter final round at the Getzen Rodeo in Germany where he battled Manny Lettenbickler all the way to the finish to clinch the title. Bolt methodically clawed his way back from a nearly three-minute deficit to finish second place, just under a minute behind Lettenbickler, to secure the title. Crazily enough, both riders finished tied at 104 points, with Bolt declared the champion by virtue of more second-place finishes. It was definitely an exciting end to the growing series that will be expanding to nine rounds in 2022, with new rounds set to take place in Israel, Serbia, in Canada. I don't know if you caught any of that day, but it was it was definitely a crazy race in Germany. And uh, those guys just battled for a full, I think it was 80 minutes. They battled all the way down to the wire with Bolt clinching the championship. It's definitely an adrenaline series. And watching the helmet cram videos from Billy Bolt and uh, Letton Bickler over the weekend, it was pretty cool. I mean, some of those sections in those events are barely walkable, or I should say climbable by foot. But it's a great series, dominated by two strokes. They've got great coverage on Red Bull TV. 
definitely something to check out is that FIM Hard Enduro Championship. Just Google that and it'll lead you right to their website. Definitely some crazy action. Those guys make it look way too easy. You know, I think in the final there was maybe eight riders that took place in that 80-minute final. And, you know, they ended up lapping quite a few of the riders in the event, which, you know, it blows my mind. These guys are at the top level and they're lapping other riders. Billy Bolt and Lett Bickler just made it look so easy, you know, way easier than in, uh, in reality it actually is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And some of the back and forth action where guys are stuck on the side of the hill, ramming into each other just to get up. And uh, it's just, uh, it's complete chaos. Definitely recommend checking that out. In other extreme enduro news, Colton Haker wrapped up the Enduro Cross Series Championship at the final rounds in Denver, Colorado. Cody Webb, after coming back after injury, took the overall wins on both Friday and Saturday, but it was Haker who clinched the title with a second-place finish on both nights. With his 2021 championship, Haker is now tied with Taddy Blazusiak for most titles at five each. And from what I've read, Haker will be looking to add more championships to his collection as he looks to go down in the history books as one of the greatest ever in a Durocross racing discipline. Dave, have you been to a Durocross before? These are like some of the most exciting races I think I've ever been to personally, where the action is, it's kind of like arena cross and supercross on steroids with, you know, logs and everything else. So it's, it's a pretty exciting series. Yeah, no doubt. They pack a lot of action into a stadium and really have brought off-road racing indoors to where, you know, just about anybody can go see it. You don't have to deal with the elements, which is pretty cool. And one of my favorite things to see is the riders that race this series sometimes race those hard enduro races, the outdoor races. Guys like Cody Webb, guys like Blazusiak, even Hacker has taken his his chances at that. And uh, I think a lot of those skills translate right over to this series, as would a supercross rider, because some of the obstacles are just screaming jumps that they have to make that uh, you wouldn't normally make outdoors. Great series to watch. It's mostly located out west. If you get a chance, check them out. They've got a great TV package also. This week's industry spotlight is Royal Enfield. They are marking their 120th anniversary as one of the longest manufactured motorcycle brands in the world. I should correct that. They are the longest motorcycle manufacturer in the world, having gone into business in 1901. They are going to the South Pole. They've launched an initiative to ride two Himalaya motorcycles from the ice shelf, basically, to the South Pole. It's about a almost a 500-mile ride in sub-zero weather, and they're doing it on 411cc, 25-horsepower enduro bikes. Quite the feat, and hats off to Royal Enfield for uh, really kind of showcasing their brand and, and the motorcycle's capability. It's gonna be interesting. Stay ahead of the pack with the latest racing news and interviews from the Hammerdown Racing Report. Your source for regional racing action as well as the national scene. Every week we recap racing action from all around Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan and cover national racing series from the world of outlaws to NASCAR. Plus get all the latest racing news. Join hosts Scott Hammer and Ron Miller along with different featured guests each week from dirt to asphalt we have you covered. The Hammerdown Racing Report, available weekly on your favorite podcasting platform.
This week's moment in moto history. The true beginning of GNCC racing began in 1974 with the Blackwater 100 Enduro in Davis, West Virginia. What started as a 100-mile off-road race, modeled after the Elsinore Grand Prix from California, has grown into the largest off-road racing series in the world, with events beginning in March and running all across the eastern U.S. and finishing off in October every year. Racers get to try everything from mountain terrain to farm fields and river crossings and everything in between. Go to gnccracing.com for the latest and greatest information, schedules, and rider insights. We'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto today, Tim Cotter, the event director for MX Sports. Tim, welcome to our podcast, man. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. You finally got a weekend off, so uh, I'm sure that was probably a nice uh, break after a long, busy season that you guys had. GNCC Racing this year just had a just an amazing season. The main event class, the XC1, came down to the final event, which was a bit of a challenge for you guys, as I understand. Uh, how, how did that go for you? Well, you know, we're very blessed. GNCC was was amazing, is amazing. The total numbers in terms of the number of participants nationwide were through the roof. Uh, we don't, we haven't done our final uh, executive summary yet, but I think we're going to be about 20 to 25 percent over last year. And last year was our largest ever. We had over 2,700 unique athletes participate in the Ironman event last week. And yes, it did come down on the two-wheel side. It came down to the last event, and unfortunately, it was a mutter, the great equalizer. And uh, but all in all, it, it was just a, a great, great series. Uh, lots of drama, great competition. You know, there, there's uh, not a lot of negatives that comes out of GNCC. You know, and it makes me wonder what um, what's what do you attribute the growth to? I know power sports and motorsports in general have just kind of skyrocket over the course of this pandemic, kind of, I guess, the sunny side of the of the thing that happened. But what do you attribute that growth to? I mean, it just seems like the series every year is just breaking records, and it's great to see. I absolutely love to see it. Well, there's a couple of things that I think or we think as a company that attributed to the growth. Uh, number one is, is when the pandemic hit, we were able to get organized through the Safe to Race Task Force. We were able to create a document a how-to document that we could take to our local health departments and get back on the racetrack, not just for us, but for every racetrack in America. That document was available to everyone, and the the communities that most people have racetracks in are, by and large, rural communities, unsophisticated health departments that weren't ready for a pandemic uh, as well. And we were able to take them a document that they could actually look at and say, okay, this checks all the boxes, go ahead and have your race. So when stick and ball sports were put on the shelf, two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports was able to continue to go. And, and so all those folks that, you know, were stir-crazy, they immediately uh, looked at us and said, well, here's an avenue and here's an opportunity for us. And we learned that by a lot of the folks that were coming to our events were not GNCC families, but they came. And then I just used the F word, the family word, you know, at Racer Productions, we look at our, everything we do has to follow the five Fs. Family is one. Faith, you know, at, at our events, we say the prayer before every race. Freedom and the flag, 
we sing the national anthem eight times and we say the Pledge of Allegiance once during a GNCC. And we honor our patriots. We honor our folks that, that served and serves our community every week. And so we instill in our community what we all grew up on that we believe is missing in many parts of America, uh, the segments of America. And then finally, fairness. We believe that when you come to a GNCC, you're going to get a fair shot at it. And I, I know there was a lot of controversy towards the end of the season in terms of what's fair and what's not fair. But if our events and our series can follow those five Fs, then we believe that that we're going to be successful and that people will spend their hard-earned money coming and participating with us. Hey, Tim, would you also think that, uh, you know, partly— We've seen a huge growth in, in off-road across the board, it seems like, in the last few years. And, you know, I feel like off-road is one of those, you know, segments that you really get the bang for the buck. And so when you show up to a GNCC race, you know, you you get a two-hour race or a three-hour race if you're racing the main event. And you get to race on the same track as the pros. And so I feel like there's just this really grassroots movement there towards more off-road, more people are getting into off-road racing. Would you kind of attribute some of that success to just, you know, the bang for the buck philosophy of, you know, you really get a lot out of going to a GNCC race? Yeah, you know, there, there is a lot of value in that. And we believe that's why people come. We see some some moto folks that cross over that say, wow, had no idea. Uh, you know, there's a young up-and-coming moto kid that that is actually very competitive at Loretta Lynn's, and and he came over to off-road Thor Powell. And Thor and his dad smile every week and just tell us what a great experience it is. And you still get that fix, that two-wheel and four-wheel motorcycle fix in the woods. You still get that adrenaline, but you're not waiting around all day to, to race two 15-minute motos. And we find that there's there's always something to do. We always have things going on and, and kids, you know, wh- where can you go where you pull in, you drop the anchor on your motorhome and the kids say, mom, I'll see you in a little bit. And they check in every other hour and they're out just enjoying uh, each other. So it, it's a it's a tremendous setting and one that, you know, once people get a, get a little bit of it, they want more of it. And it seems to me, Tim, that it's appealing to every level of rider. When we look at your program, where you've got ATVs on Saturday, bikes on Sunday, the variety of classes available appeals to just about anybody who's raced for a long time and knows what they're doing to almost a beginner in the woods is able to go out there and compete. And that's got to be something that helps draw more, even more people, especially, as you said, as the stick and ball sports went away, a lot of people switched gears and went to uh, off-road riding. You know, we have a class for trail riders, which are first-time people that that are not really trying to be competitive, to Stu Baylor's class and to Ben Kelly's class, and all points in between. We have them for old people and young people and people on two wheels and people on four wheels. If you name it, we have a class. There's, I believe there's over 140 different classes throughout the race weekend for ATV and motorcycles. And then we have our Stasic classes on Saturday night, we run Stasic races. It's a free, a free exhibition race, but we're getting you know a hundred kids that come and and uh, they're competing. <laughs> it's it's crazy when one of your rules has to be, uh, you can't be wearing diapers. These kids are getting their first taste of motorcycling at a GNCC, and and we feel that if we can get you on a on the seat of a bike, 
early will keep you forever. And uh, it seems to be working. I've also noticed, Tim, that you guys have this e-bike series that you guys have added as well to the GNCC series where it's not at every round, but you know, there's another area that it's creating even more interest in the series where you have a guy like Charlie Mullins, who was a, you know, a past champion now racing this e-bike series. And I think he's won it, if I'm not mistaken, he's won it the last couple of years. Yeah, you're exactly right. And you know, the crossroads of mountain biking and motorcycling is e-biking. And we're taking the GNCC event and the GNCC style race course, and then we're, we're building a bicycle atmosphere around it. And if you just look at the box scores and say, okay, they had 75 e-bikes this day and 82 that day, and I think maybe we, we got up to in the 90s somewhere, you know, that's not, that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. There are 500 or 1,000 e-bikes on the property. And it's done a couple of things for us. And these were unintended consequences, although they were good consequences. We allow you to go inspect the course on an e-bike. And so you really can do it, right? An e-bike, if you've never been on one, they're amazing. I'm, I'm 60 years old and overweight, and I can ride an e-bike pretty much around a a course. So it allows you to be able to go out and do it, allow someone that's not as athletic as, say, Stu Baylor or Ben Kelly would be or Walker Fowler to go out and compete. Again, we have classes for everyone, uh, and it brought specialized into motorcycle racing, not just motorcycle racing, but motorcycle dealerships. And so specialized already has a motorsports now branch where they, they're going out and and creating these sales opportunities in dealerships. And so that has helped our motorcycling community. Look what Intense has done now with the relationship with Parts Unlimited, that Intense e-mountain bikes, and I believe Intense bicycles in general may be available in motorcycle dealerships now. And all of that contributes to the growth, which is a good thing, I think, just for everybody in the sport. Kind of continuing with that 5F mention that you gave us, Tim. Talk about the GNCC CARES program that you guys launched at Ironman. I thought that was an interesting thing to happen, and uh, it was awesome to see. I'd like to kind of know more about that program. Well, it's in its infancy. It's long overdue. And i tell you where it came out of. We are currently negotiating with Snowshoe to uh, renegotiate our contract there. And, you know, if you've ever been to that event, it's a massive event. It's unlike any other GNCC. It has a little more of a party edge to it. It is the toughest race in America, uh, we believe. But as we sat down with the Snowshoe leadership team this year, one of the criticisms they had of us is that the GNCC race goers are not as friendly to the environment as their other customers. And we got to thinking about that. Now understand that Snowshoe GNCC is different whereas most of our GNCCs are, are the families that race there. They bring moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. It's not really a spectator-based event, but Ironman and Snowshoe are both, they got a, a higher volume of spectators. And so we felt, you know, we really need to do a better job in all of our facilities. We need to make people aware that we are in a special place and we need to treat it special. And that is where GNCC Cares was born. And so this was uh, our first go at it. It worked. There was probably a uh, hundred trash bags that we were able to just to pick up and load out opposed to having to pick the trash up off the ground and put in bags. So it's our goal through, uh, through that GNCC CARES program and 
through some peer pressure to get people to do the right thing. And I don't think it's going to be that difficult. You know, when you go to a Hilton, you act like you're in a Hilton opposed if you went into a Motel 6. And so I think that when they go to these facilities and they realize that uh, we all care and we all want it to be clean and we, we do want to leave it the best way we can, you know, motorcycling, arguably, uh, you know, we get criticism from people about what we do, the environment. And at GNCC, we, we work really hard to try to make it as environmentally friendly as we possibly can. And this will go a long way towards that. But it's interesting you noticed that. So I uh, appreciate that. Hey, Tim, another thing, uh, speaking of, you know, caring about, you know, the, the future of the sport and everything else is this West Virginia Motorsports Committee that you are now a part of. Tell us a little bit about that and how did that come about? It seems very interesting and hopefully maybe turns into kind of a pilot program where other states end up picking up something similar. Yeah, you know, we've tried this a couple of times now with, with the West Virginia Tourism Department. West Virginia Tourism has been a bit of a struggle for us. We get a little bit offended, maybe, might be the right word, that, you know, we go to Snowshoe and we know how many people come from different areas of the country. Nobody lives in Pocahontas County that actually goes to that race and competes, or I shouldn't say nobody, but a very small number. They all come from Ohio and New York and Pennsylvania and wherever they may be coming from. So we've we've argued with the tourism department that we really need to uh, get some help from West Virginia Tourism. They've got a tremendous budget of advertising, and and uh, they haven't been they haven't been uh, receptive to that. But yet, when say the the uh, World Cup mountain bike race came to Snowshoe, and I went up and helped Snowshoe with their first World Cup event a couple of years ago, my goodness, the the tourism department really rolled out the red carpet. Now. It was a like-size event, same number of people up there. Now, certainly they had a large number of people that came from overseas, but, you know, we have uh, probably a larger number of people that came from somewhere other than Pocahontas County, West Virginia. So having said all that, I, I try to stay politically active here in West Virginia, and we've been pushing to get some some traction there, no pun intended. And so uh, Governor Justice said, okay, let's create this motorsports commission. And I was uh, honored to to be asked to be on that. And uh, we've had several meetings, uh, Zoom meetings, but our first in-person meeting is next week, or excuse me, no, it's this month. This is November. So it's here in a, in a week or so. Uh, we're actually going to meet at one of our GNCC sponsors facilities, Mid-State Chevrolet. And uh, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about how all the motorsports community in West Virginia can work together to create a, a tourism effort and, and work to get the West Virginia legislature and more specifically the tourism department to help us tell our message. I don't think we're asking anybody to write us a check, but it would be nice if the West Virginia tourism uh, would include us in their emails or would include us in their hundreds of millions of dollars of ad buys and, and awareness that they have around the country. Well, it seems to make a lot of sense sense to us, uh, Tim. And uh, hopefully, like I said, that just kind of takes off and, and, and other states end up kind of emulating what you guys are doing there. Oh, I hope so. So, Tim, as you've wrapped up this season, you got to be starting to think about 2022 season. What does uh, GNCC have in store for next year, next race season? 
Well, hopefully some growth. We are actually, I've been working all day on on the Loretta Lynn schedules and GNCC schedules and pro motocross schedules and pro ATV schedules. And I don't know what, what whatever I missed, we're, we're working on all those schedules and they're all intertwined. You know, it, you, you have to start out with one before you get to the other. And right now, GNCC, it looks like we're going back to most of the same venues we're uh, going to deploy a, uh, a team down into North Carolina. We've got a, uh, a facility in North Carolina that we're going to look at. Hopefully, that will, will bring some promise. We're also looking at an additional facility in Georgia for GNCC. Don't know that that will all happen this year, but we're always looking for new venues. It's our goal to take GNCC racing in places they can't go, like the Boy Scout Ranch or snowshoe, you know, those are pretty special places. And and uh, so we're always on the lookout for those places that when people pull in the gate, Camp Coker, if you've ever been to Camp Coker, you know what a, what a special place it is. You know, those are, it's harder and harder to find a place. You know, GNCC has grown. We have to, we look at, at facilities that, that are in excess of 600 acres and they got to have uh, in excess of 100 acres that we can park on. That's probably tight if if we were able to make that work. So it's not easy to find a, a place that we can go GNCC racing. Well, for sure. And I think with that hard work, you guys will definitely keep growing and continue to succeed as you have been. Tim, we want to take uh, these last uh, moments to uh, thank you, first of all, for being with us today. And also, uh, if you could mention where the best place is to go and check out GNCC Racing on the web or social media and see uh, see what it's all about. GNCCRacing.com is the beachhead for all of uh, our activities there. We have uh, Instagram and, and our social media accounts over at uh, Facebook as well. But for the most part, if you go to our website, you know, even in the off-season, we have, we have a lot of uh, opportunities, uh, the Tuesday Toolbox, and some articles that we put out each week. And then racertv.com, if you ever want to, on those cold, snowy Saturday afternoons when you're at home wishing you could go ride your dirt bike, go to racertv.com, and you can see all of our broadcasts. You know, we, we broadcast live the pro ATV and pro motorcycles each week, so there's plenty of footage to go look at. And then we recap and do a highlight show for MAV TV. And once it's aired on MAV TV, it goes to our website as well, to racertv.com. So always a lot of opportunity to uh, go back and revisit those GNCCs. Awesome. Uh, definitely go check it out. These are uh, great events. And like Tim said, check them out in the wintertime too. You can watch uh, on Racer TV. Tim, thanks again for staying with us today. I hope you have a good one, man. It is my pleasure. I, I appreciate all you guys do keeping the fire lit around the country to off-road motorcycle racing, whether it be motocross or uh, GNCC or ATVs, whatever the case may be, you guys keep the fire lit and keep people yearning to, to come back. And that allows us and all the other racetracks in America to continue to do what we love to do. We're very fortunate. We'd like to thank our guest, Tim Cotter, for spending time with us today. In upcoming races, we've got the MXGP of Lombardia in Mantova, Italy, November 7th. That's round 17 of 18 of that hot series. So soon we will have an MXGP champion. 
We've got the MotoGP of Portugal at the Algarve International Circuit, November 7th. That's round 17 of 18. We've got the World Superbike Series in Indonesia, November 19th through the 21st. That's round 12 of 13. Thank you again to our guests for being with us today, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app so you can never miss an episode. If you have a moment, please rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Make sure you're also following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit pitpassmoto.com where you can check out our blog. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson, Chris Bishop, producer Leah Longbreak and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. I'm Dave Selecki. And I'm Dale Spangler. And we'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.